Peter, and we're going to take a, use that as kind of a springboard text, 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, I'm using the New American Standard, which is Jesus' version, by the way. Just joking, okay? I'm sure I, I noticed you guys use the ESV, which is a great, great translation, but I'm so used to uh, having this all my life and learning from it. But obviously my heart and prayers go out to you during this uh, transition time here at Eastridge, going through a difficult trial. And yet, as believers, we all know that God is a sovereign God. He's a providential God. He's faithful. And the Bible says clearly, He is building His church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against her. Amen? But we need to pray for one another, don't we? We need to pray for John and Trish and Krista. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our elders. We need to pray for one another. You know why? Because as you've read in the Scripture, and as even we read today, sin is always crouching at the door. The flesh is always wanting to do its worst work in our life. Satan and his demons are always looking for an open door to divide us and to cause greater hurt and division. We understand those things. I mean, every church goes through it to one degree or another. And so I've been praying for you guys, and I know many other people are. Eastridge is a great church. We hear great things about you over in Federal Way. And, and you've got a solid gospel testimony in your mission field. And you need to rally together so we can learn to cultivate, I think, one of the key things that I'm going to share with you today, which is one of the most difficult virtues to cultivate in your life at any time, whether times are good or times are rough, is humility, right? It is difficult to be an American, especially, and to be humble. Because we pride ourselves on so many different things. In fact, I would kind of like to retitle my message in light of what happened this last week. If you've been watching the news, that congressional act they put together was $734 billion they're going to be spending. It's a 725-page document. It's always got to be long, you know. And uh, anyway, they called it the Inflation Reduction Act. I can't think of a better modern definition of humility. Now think about that. The Inflation Reduction Reduction Act is what we're called to do as God's people. Our hearts want to inflate themselves. We want to promote ourselves. We want to guard ourselves. That's just part of human nature. And even as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand the dynamic that we're wrestling between the flesh and the Spirit, Galatians 5 tells us. And so we need to be mindful of the fact that the way up in God's world is really down with the spirit of humility. You see, I don't know anybody who's alive today who doesn't want to move up in their lives. They want to be successful. They want to grow. They want to expand. I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's only really two ways you can do that. There's the world's way. And this is kind of what we see constantly in our world today, whether it's in the news or it's in culture, you hear people say, well, I'm special and I'm better than others and I work harder and I deserve respect and recognition. I deserve special treatment. There's an entitlement mentality. I need to care for me first. Success is beauty, brawn, bucks, and it's, you know, the, the brains that people have. But that's not God's way up. You've read your Bible. And you know, God's way up is self-denial. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural in our day and age. You read things like that Jesus said and the disciples said that the first will be last and the last will be first. Who's preaching that in our society? Or maybe giving is receiving. 
Or dying is really living. Or weakness is strength. Or losing is finding. Or the least is the greatest. Or the poor in spirit are the richest. Serving is truly ruling. And the one we're talking about today is that the way up in your life is really down at the door of humility. It's a mindset. And what's amazing about this humility is that of all the places you would find it, you would not necessarily think you're going to find it in the book of Peter. I mean, Peter's writing a a survival guide for the scattered saints all throughout Asia. There were probably 10 to 20 different congregations meeting in homes in different cities. Jesus talked to those cities in, in the seven churches of Asia Minor. And you would think they're running for their lives and their livelihood. Nero has blamed his fires in Rome on them. They're the scapegoats. And so they're receiving the heat. I mean, it's incredible what they had to endure. And so you would think that the letter would be all about hang in there, pray to God, be hopeful. But really what you read is something dramatically counterintuitive and countercultural. He basically says in the survival guide, you need to learn to be submissive to God and submissive to one another and submissive to your governing authorities. In fact, probably one of the most shocking verses in 1 Peter is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, where he says, listen, honor the king. Who was the king? Nero, who's blaming them. Honor the king? Are you kidding me? I mean, look at the trouble we have in our day and age, us conservatives, when whoever's in place that we don't like, we moan and groan and complain about that because the wrong guy's there. But can you imagine if Nero were our president? What would we be like? Would there be a submissive attitude? Would there be a humility and understanding we're called to honor the authority that God has put in place? So I think what we're going to share today, and hopefully the Spirit of God will, will use me to uh, encourage you about the mindset of humility, which is so very important. You see, the Christian life is not about our personal success. success. We're independent-minded, me-first, success-oriented Americans, and this is not only hard humility, but it's stupid. They think it's just dumb I mean, if you're ever going to get anywhere in life, you're not going to get anywhere being a doormat. And yet in God's mindset, we're called to be dependent-minded, God-first, fruit-oriented Christians, where humility will be hard, and yet it's spirit-energized, and it leads to true success. That's God's way. So it's all about His glory. It's all about everybody else's good. And it demands this personal, really, inflation, reduction act in our own life. Now, before we get to 1 Peter 5 here, I want you to listen to this. And and just think about if this is not true or not. The lack of humility sometimes in the church, among brothers and sisters, spawns more sin and less righteousness. More conflict and less unity. More consumers and less servants of the Lord. More self-obsession and less others' devotion. More offended snowflakes, as we call them in our day and age, and less others, or less deterred, undeterred servants and soldiers. More gossip and less kindness. But most of all, what we're going to learn today from Peter, God's word to us, is that lacking humility 
there will be more God opposition in your life. Your Christian life will not be easy without humility. Because number one, it doesn't work right. Number two, God is actively opposed to your mindset. And so we want to make sure that God uses us. Everybody wants God to use us. But it takes humility in our lives. And obviously, humility is not on anybody's must list, must have list of character qualities to possess. It's not touted on the talk shows. It's not celebrated in the valedictorian speeches. It's not commended in life coaching seminars. It's not emanating from celebrities of any kind in our day and age. It just doesn't fit the driving, self-assured, ambitious, get-to-the-top portrait of being successful in this world. And we know it. We know it. Yet it is tremendously high on God's list for His people. And it's a major key to getting along. And it's a major key in and outside the church of Jesus Christ. So look at 1 Peter, if you will. And I want you to notice here, when he gets to chapter 5, and by the way, all through this Survivor Manual, it's incredible what he says. He says, your only hope is looking to the future of God's great coming. And your only hope is to live holy lives in fear of God. And he says the only way to do this and survive is to be submissive to one another in your marriages, in your families, in the church, uh, to your employers and to the government. And to run away from sin. And to know that Satan is on the, on the prowl seeking what he can devour as a lion. But then he says this to the elders. Notice, in this context, if you look down in verse 5, Paul has just, or Peter has just talked about being a fellow elder of Jesus Christ. And he says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And then he says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. I mean, those words are about as crystal clear as you can understand. So very important. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to use these verses right here and kind of jump off and ask three questions. I want to ask, what is humility? Why is humility so important? And then how do we pursue a life of humility? All right, just those three things. And, some, and these come out of this text as well as other passages in the Scriptures. So first of all, what is humility? I mean, what is it? Well, obviously, Peter is dealing with these persecuted believers. And he understands the only way they're ever going to survive in God's world is by depending upon Him, not themselves. Pride is what causes us to depend on ourselves and to watch for ourselves before anybody else. But again, we understand Christ's way. It's others first. It's God's first. So he's got this survival guide for them. So he mentions these three groups. Did you notice in verse 5 and verse 6 there? He mentions the elders and the younger men and then everyone. So he basically covers all the bases in the church. The, uh, the elders are to shepherd the flock of God's, God's way in verse 2. They've got to be aware of being overconfident. The younger men are to subject to their elders, to be subject to their elders. The everyone is to clothe themselves in humility. And here's Peter, of all people, who is teaching on humility. And he's probably the one disciple who struggled the most with humility. 
He was always opening his mouth, right? Before he should have thought about it and said something. Peter was one who needed to learn humility and he learned it the hard way. And he doesn't assert his authority here. He instead he presents himself as a fellow shepherding elder. He doesn't focus on the authority, but the mod, but models humility serving on a team together. And so Peter then commands everyone else to be humble. So what is humility then? It's an interesting word. I don't know if you've ever done a study on humility in Scripture, but we know it's there. We know it's everywhere. We kind of read fast through it because we know it's a difficult virtue, but a beautiful virtue that God wants to wants us to possess. But it's an interesting word, listen to this, in the Greco-Roman world that was rarely ever used, it wasn't a common word in their culture. In fact, historians tell us that Christians virtually invented the word as a testimony of God's way. In fact, humility was a vice, not a virtue in the first century world. They looked at it as being a loser, You're at the lowest rung. You're going to get walked over by everybody else. That's the worst thing you could ever do to survive and to thrive. And yet Christians landed on that word because it was God's will that we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. It reflects a deep sense of one's moral littleness. It's a disposition, a mentality that makes an accurate assessment of yourself in light of an accurate assessment of God. Your view of God and your view of yourself is going to flesh itself out in how you are humble or not humble. I like little C.J. Mahaney's little book on humility, a great book. He says this, here's how he defines it. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. I mean, bingo, that's what the Word of God says. It sums up these two keys here. A self-awareness, according to God, and then a God-awareness. You can't make a proper and accurate assessment of yourself without first accurately understanding who God is. God is the Creator. What are we? We're the creature. God is holy and sinless. What are we? We know what we are. We're depraved and sinful. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. But we are powerless in and of ourselves. God is all-knowing and we're limited in knowledge. Now, we can keep going on. You get the picture. Humility requires an accurate assessment of ourselves in light of the accurate understanding of how great and mighty God is because He is the standard of truth by which we live our lives. That standard of righteousness and morality and knowledge and wisdom and power and honor and worthiness. In fact, God proclaimed this in Isaiah chapter 66. This is a great verse. You might want to remember it says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. Now listen to this. But this is the one to whom I will look. He says, He who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. I mean, that's an incredible verse. You say, I want God to look my way. I want to get the blessing of God in my life. Well, one of the ways that's very clear in Scripture is for you to have a humble heart, have a contrite spirit. 
which means you're going to be submissive and obedient to the Lord. You're going to be looking to Him. John the Baptist recognized this when he says, He must increase and I must what? Decrease. Moses had it. It says in Numbers chapter 12 that now the man Moses was very humble. Listen to this. More than any man who was on the face of the earth. How would you like to have that description of your life? David understood it in the psalm when he wrote in Psalm 25. He, God, leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. We want to learn from God and we learn by humility. Paul demonstrated in Acts chapter 20 when he was talking to the Ephesian elders saying goodbye to them after three years of ministry with them. He says this, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility. With all humility. But of course, it's Jesus Christ who perfectly modeled this on the earth. Here's the greatest person, the second person of the triune God, who deserves nothing but glory. He's the only unique God-man. He puts on flesh. He comes to this earth. And what does He do? He models for us perfect humility and perfect service. Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I want to read that passage that's very familiar to you. Hopefully it is. It's one of those passages that humbles us. It reminds us of why we are here. We're here for Jesus Christ. And because of His example of humility and service and how He came to be our in the Incarnation, our Savior and our Lord, and what that required, then He says we need to be following His example. Look, if you will, in verse 5, He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. See that? He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He went from the highest of the highest to the lowest of the lowest. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in the heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And right before verse 5, he basically charges us to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Now why would you find these kind of passages in Scripture commonly telling us to look away from ourselves, Do nothing from selfishness. Because there is a proneness. We're prone. Didn't we sing this? We're prone to wonder, Lord. Right? We're prone to leave the God we love. The flesh is still around. Satan is still doing his best. And he wants us nothing more than to be self-destructive by focusing on ourselves. And that's always the tendency kind of to react about how I feel, what I think, what I'm upset about, what I prefer. And humility is the key. It was the key in Jesus Christ's ministry. He said this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You'll see it in his triumphal entry when he walked in to Jerusalem 
He presented himself as Messiah, and it was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, This way, behold, your king is coming to you, and he is just, and he is endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Isn't it interesting how that humility comes out? It was obviously in his incarnation. You see, your God awareness, your self awareness, is going to inform your ministry awareness. We contend to be cocky and blind and foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful, but God is the exact extreme opposite of that. That's what Titus 2.2 says. We're dead in our sins, right? But God is the source of our life. We were unworthy of any sort of blessing, but God is worthy of all blessings. We were completely helpless to change our destitute condition. But God alone is able to overcome our single greatest terminal condition ever, praise God. We couldn't even figure out what was wrong with us. We blamed it on our parents. We blamed it on environmental effects. We blamed it on schooling. We blamed it on our neighbors. We blamed it on our dog. We blamed it on anything and everything until God opened our eyes to show us we're at fault. We're the sinners. We deserve the wrath of God. And finally it clicked so that we could put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, right? See, that's humility. So humility is this. It's honestly understanding our littleness compared to God's bigness. It's understanding our unworthiness compared to God's worthiness. And as we see God and who He is, we're going to understand ourselves rightly and be the humble believers that we're called to be in the world that is promoting self. That's what makes it so challenging. So that's humility. The second question that comes directly out of 1 Peter here is why do we need to cultivate humility? Well, Peter gives us three incentives to make sure that we're all motivated to dress in the right way. Did you notice this? He says, clothe yourselves. Put on the right clothes. We're all about the clothes, right? Some of you are really into fashion in here. Some of you could care less. You just grab whatever's hanging around, right? I mean, but you you know, we want to look good. We want to look clean. We want to look right. And some people are just following the trends of the day. And so we're all about clothing ourselves. We do this every single day. And he says, that's what a believer does. Every day we put on the clothing of humility. Put it on. You got to dress yourself every day. But notice why we need to cultivate humility. Let me give you the three things real quickly and we'll talk about them. Number one, he says in verse five, you see this, God is opposed to the proud. The second is in verse five, God gives grace to the humble. The third was in verse six, God will exalt you at the proper time. Those are incredible motivations. Let's look at the first one. Humility will protect you from God's opposition. Now, who in their right mind or has half a brain or even a small brain would ever want God opposing you? Any takers? I didn't think so. Because we understand who God is. We understand His ability. And pride will, is what made the devil the devil, isn't it? He fell in pride. The great five I am's in Isaiah 14 is God's one of his chief angels. Pride was the first sin that was ever committed. 
And it wasn't in the garden where it was committed. It was in heaven with the star of the morning, the sun of the dawn. And we know him as Satan and his spiritual forces of wickedness. The devil, the evil one, the serpent of old, the great red dragon, the angel of light, the father of lies, the tempter, the deceiver. That's who he is. Here's what Proverbs 16, verse 5 says, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. You know, that word abomination isn't used a whole lot in Scripture, but when it is, it perks your attention up a little bit to think, hey, this is something that God really hates. It's pride. And we all know this. Pride is the core of our sin. Everything, Every sin comes from pride, one way or another. So God's humility is the key. It's the great virtue. Let me give you a couple examples. You guys remember Uzziah in the Old Testament, one of the kings? He was the 10th king in the divided kingdom. You know, there was the united kingdom under David and Saul and Solomon. Then there's the divided kingdom, the north and the south. And the north had 10 tribes and the south had two tribes. And so the southern kingdom was the kingdom through which the Messiah was going to come. And so here's Uzziah. He's the 10th king under the southern kingdom. And he listen to this. He's only one of eight kings... One out of eight, one king of uh, one of eight kings who was good in the eyes of the Lord out of a total of thirty nine different kings in the northern and southern tribes put together. Very few godly good kings, and he was one of them. And yet he had some flaws. It says this: he became king at age sixteen. He reigned fifty two years. And it says this, he did right in the eyes of the Lord, quote, as long as he sought the Lord, unquote, in Second Chronicles verse, chapter 26. He restored cities. He defeated major enemies. He built fortresses. He reorganized Judah's military. Listen to this. Here's the quote. Until his fame spread afar. For he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Watch out for the word until. Until it goes to your head, until it goes to your heart, then things may change. It says this, he became proud and he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord. And for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense like a priest, but he wasn't a priest. And God instantly gave him leprosy to the day of his death. He had to move out of the king's palace and live in a home in the back of the palace until he died. What a shame. How about Nebuchadnezzar? We all know him. King of the number one world power, Babylon. He was out one day, you know, just looking over his kingdom and just feeling puffed up and excited. Look, at I built this and I built that. We're number one. I'm the greatest king in all the world. And he's feeling this high of his ego. And then all of a sudden, God immediately turned him into a raving maniac. And he lived among the beasts of the field, and he was eating grass like cattle and growing his hair and nails unchecked like the birds until God humbled him. And then he, Nebuchadnezzar, made one of the greatest statements on the sovereignty of God you will almost ever find in all of Scripture. In fact, I personally believe he got saved. I mean, I don't see how you can say this. This is what he said. I... Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven for all His works are true and His ways are just and He is able to humble those who walk in pride. He understood it. He learned the lesson. 
And God opened his eyes. But what about Peter himself? He's writing these words. He boastfully told the Lord that he would stick with him through prison and even death. Lord, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to follow you all the way to death if need be. One of those times he opened his mouth, foot insert, you know. What happened, you know? The cock crowed. And instantly, Peter was humbled. Because God's word came true. Because Peter couldn't stay awake to pray with Jesus Christ in the garden. During his trial, he denied him three times. But think about, just get in Peter's shoes a little bit if we can. Think about it. Every single morning when the light came and he heard the cock crow. What do you think he was thinking? It reminded him of the day that Jesus Christ humbled him for his good. And look at the way God used him. You see, the the crowing of the rooster reminds us of the strutting that they give during the day and then they lose their head and they're served up for dinner in the evening. Proverbs 26, verse 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. You and I are never more like the devil than when we have a proud, cocky, puffed-up spirit. C.S. Lewis called pride, quote, the greatest sin in the world. He writes, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other device or every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind, unquote. So you're never more like the devil than when you're proud. But you're never more like Jesus Christ than when you're humble. That's the transformation that God puts in our life by the energy of the Holy Spirit. So reason number one is you don't want to stand against God. God will protect you with humility. Secondly, the reason is humility will provide for you. Verse 5, it says God will give grace to the humble. Isn't that the, really the centerpiece of the Christian life? Everything about the Christian life is about grace. I mean, everything. It covers every part of your life. In fact, if, you, if you're back in, uh, flip, uh, back in 1 Peter chapter 5, maybe you uh, are still there, look at verse 10. Notice what he says this. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace. The God of all grace. What do you mean all grace? I thought I was just saved by grace. Well, that gets you in the door. Then you're kept by grace. Then you're energized by the grace then God's all-sufficient grace keeps you during trials and tribulations, and then He takes you to His heavenly kingdom in grace. Everything about the Christian life is grace. And God says, I'm opposed to the proud, but I'm going to give grace to the humble. Who doesn't want God's grace in our lives? His saving grace, His serving grace, His strengthening grace. So humility is going to provide for us. The grace of God will exalt a man without inflating him, and it will humble a man without debasing him. You see, this grace can give you the strength to endure the trials of life, whether it be slander or gossip or anger or bitterness or malice. It will also give you the power to transcend strife and jealousy and divisiveness. Now listen, that's an amazing virtue that God puts in our life as God's people to do those things in a world that's full of all those things. The application is this. If you're struggling with anger and frustration and grief, what we all need is a fresh baptism of humility that guarantees 
God's grace will be working in your life the way it was designed to work. So it protects us. It provides for us. The third reason he gives in verse 6 is that it promotes you. I mean, you, you know, we all want to be promoted. But the best promotion is God's promotion. He'll exalt you at the proper time, it says. I mean, we love all the upwards, don't we? I mean, everything up. We love up. We love the upscale, the upper class, the upper crust, the upgrade. We love the up, uppermost or the upside. But again, the way up with God is down. It's in humility. Notice what he says there. He says, humble yourselves. It's in the passive tense. In other words, you allow God to humble you. You cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your life to allow humility to saturate your life under the mighty hand of God. It's the same hand that led Israel out of the Egyptian bondage. It's the same hand that can lead you out of any situation. You see, we needed from God what we could never get ourselves, right? That was salvation. Forgiveness, peace of mind, purpose, love, security, you name it. But someone said this, and I like this. I don't know who said it. I couldn't find it. We will never get over until we get under. And when we get under the authority over us, God gives us the authority over those matters He has set under us. That's a great statement. There's the under and over of the Christian life, right? So the way up is down. Jesus said it. Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant of all. And He says, I came to serve. I came to serve. And it's at the proper time, by the way. Some of you may be thinking out there, well, I've been living the Christian life a long time and I've been working on humility and I don't seem to ever get promoted. How long is it going to take? Well, that's why Peter says it's at the proper time. God's time in your life is always the best time, right? We have our wishes. We have our ways. And it's usually, can I have it yesterday? And God will give you what you need at the proper time, that exaltation, because it's first the cross and then the crown in the Christian life. Now, let me ask this last and final question. How? Because this is the application part of the message. How can you and I grow in humility? And so I'm going to use the word humility. And I'm going to make an acronym out of it and give you the eight ways that I believe the Scripture teaches us to grow humility in our life because it's not an easy easy virtue to grow. Now listen to this. There's two things in the Christian life, as you well know. When you get saved, you get all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. Now you need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you. We're called to cooperate. We're called to not grieve the Holy Spirit. We're called to not quench the Holy Spirit. We're called not to insult the Holy Spirit. We're called to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We understand that dynamic. And so God does His work, and synergistically, we do our work. And so we need to grow in that virtue of humility that God has given us. So the letter H stands for this, honor God daily over yourself. Every single day, honor God. We know that. That's basic. Don't you have to remind yourself of that? John the Baptist's words, he must increase, I must decrease. Just memorize those six words. I mean, just maybe even say that every day. He must increase, I must decrease. And just to remind, God remind me throughout the day of all the temptations to put myself first. I want to honor you first. Daily confess 
the great, how great and worthy God is and daily admit how needy and unworthy you really are because humility is not simply thinking less of yourself, but thinking more and more of who God is. Secondly, the letter U stands for understand your need for His all-sufficient grace. We've talked about His grace already. But we need it. One of the great statements, I just got done preaching through the first book of 1 Corinthians and got to 1 Corinthians 15, and man, that thing was chock full. I think we had six messages or seven messages in that chapter. It's a great chapter, 58 verses, all about the resurrection. But in the middle of it, Paul gives a testimony and says this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But that grace didn't prove unfaithful. And then he says, but by the, and, and he talks about his work that he does by the grace of God. But you're what you are today by the grace of God, no more and no less. So I think it means we need to understand. Remember, we deserve nothing, but we were given everything in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you, if you want to do some reading on this, this is one of the great booklets that we use in the ministry. And it's, it's a booklet by Stuart Scott. I think it's like 32 pages. It's called this, From Pride to Humility. But be careful. Be, be ready to be convicted, to throw the book against the wall, to pick it up, reread it, because it challenges you. It goes through all what the Scripture says about pride and humility, and God uses it in a great way for about a great virtue that God wants in our life. Remember this in John 1.16, For of His fullness we have all received, listen to this, grace upon grace. It's just cascading grace in our lives. So honor God daily over yourself. Understand your need for His all-sufficient grace. Number three, mourn over your sin. Now, let's be honest. When's the last time you've had a mourning session over your sin? I think sometimes as believers, we get so used to maybe going to prayer in the morning saying, Lord, forgive me. You know what I did yesterday. Or maybe throughout the day you're saying, Gosh, Lord, I did it again. I'm so sorry. But there's not really a mourning going on. You have that feeling for a moment But is there a mourning over that sin? Because we know what sin can do to us. We know its potential. Even as believers. When you read through the Bible, I'm reading through the Kings and the Chronicles right now, and I'm just blown away at all of God's men who struggle with sin in ways that you would think, wow, if that ever happened today in our world, those guys would be thrown out of anything religious forever. I mean, there was some evil stuff going on. God is a God of grace, but He wants us to mourn over our sin. Remind this, I think David got it, didn't he? In Psalm 51, he got it. He was mourning over sin against thee and thee only of thy sin. Wait a minute, David, you sinned against Bathsheba. You, you sinned against Uriah. You sinned against your family. You sinned against your wife. I mean, you sinned against so many things, but you're saying in thee and thee only I've sinned? Because he understood ultimately sin is against the holy God. And then he said this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And maybe you just need to say, Lord, help me to see my sin for what it really is. You know, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, he was a navigator's writer, Jerry, somebody, who, Bridges? Yeah, that's it, Jerry Bridges. He wrote a book that will blow you away if you've ever read it. The Respectable Sins in the Church. 
he gives, I don't know how many, I think it's like 13 different sins he names. These are common sins in the church that we accommodate in the church. And you read the book, it's like reading pride. Don't read those two books together, Pride to Humility and uh, the Respectable Sins in the Church because they'll just tear you up. But it's good truth. But we need to mourn over our sins. I mean, remember Jesus Christ humbly took all your pride, saturated sins upon himself so you and I could receive what we didn't deserve. Confession is really an open admission that we need is daily cleansing. And we haven't arrived yet. And like Psalm 103 verse 8 says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. So honor God daily over yourself. Understand your need for His all-sufficient grace. Mourn over your sin. The letter I is increase your dependence upon God in prayer. Pray. I don't know who said this, but I love it. I don't love it. I know it's true. Prayerlessness is an act of independence against God. Prayerlessness. When prayerfulness is an act of dependence upon God, you're saying, God, I need you. i got to come to you. I gotta praise you. I gotta confess my sins to you. I gotta thank you. I gotta love you. And look at my life. Look at what I'm thinking. Look at what I'm saying. Look what's going on. How I react at work. Look what I've done in relationships in the church. So increase your dependence on God in prayer. We know Ephesians six eighteen with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance. And petition for all the saints. Did you see how many times he said the word all, 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 all? It's an all-consuming lifestyle. That's why pray without ceasing doesn't mean that everywhere you go, you close your eyes. No, it just means that you live in a God consciousness throughout the day. In a moment, you can praise Him. In a moment, you confess. In a moment, you can ask a request throughout the day. Well, the letter L is look for ways to serve others. That's humility. Humility is going to be looking for ways that I can serve others. I can remind myself in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, a great verse on why you were saved. Listen to this. And He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Isn't that a great verse? Christ died so we wouldn't be dependent upon ourselves. And since we've been saved from living for ourselves, be intentional about being a blessing to others in our words, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our kindnesses, and our graces. We don't want to be haughty in mind, Romans 12 says. We don't want to be wise in our own estimation. We want to find ways to serve those around us. We remember that. Well, the next I is to invite others to give you honest feedback. Now, here's a challenging time. Invite others to give you feedback. Listen to Proverbs 15, 31. He whose ear listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? So ask your spouse. Ask an honest friend. Do you, what do, you, do you see pride in me? And how is it manifested? And be willing to say, you can be honest. Because I want to know. Because sometimes we're self-deceived, aren't we? And we'll only ask the people we know that will give us the good answer. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs 27 says. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So invite others 
to give you honest feedback as you grow your humility. The letter T is to trust God's way over your own way. Remind yourself of Isaiah 55, for my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord, for as high as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now listen to this. Humility will expect to be viewed differently. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I am a spectacle. I'm the scum of the earth. He said, I am the dregs. He said in 1 Timothy, I am the the worst of all sinners. I mean, he had a view of himself that you would think, come on, Paul, relax a little bit. Man, that's too crazy. But Paul understood the nature of sin. Humility, secondly, will expect to experience life differently. You will be hated without a cause with humility. You'll You'll suffer unjustly. There'll be opposition. You'll you'll be misunderstood. You'll be misrepresented. But humility is going to take it. Thirdly, humility will expect to respond differently because we're going to bless those who curse us, bless and curse not. 1 Peter 3 says, Romans 12 says, we're not going to return evil for evil. We're going to return insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. And then the last and eighth point about what it means to be, what it means to grow in humility is to yield your rights to others. You know, this is probably one of the most challenging ones, to be honest. We live in America, it's all about our rights. And we're losing our rights. And rights, rights, rights. And it's great to have a country like we've had. We've had a long tradition of freedom. And we understand those freedoms are going to come and go. And God has His plan. God is sovereign over this nation like He is other all nations. Things may get worse and not get better. But we as believers are faithful to Jesus Christ no matter what is going on in our country. And we yield our rights to others. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. We're not caused to use, we're not here to use our liberty to say, well, this is my right as a believer. The Bible doesn't forbid me to do it, so I'm going to do it because I want to do it. And yet, you're causing a brother to stumble? You're not allowed to do that. We're called to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves, Romans 15 says. We're called to please our neighbor for his good and his edification. So we've got to choose our words carefully. We've got to restrain our freedoms thoughtfully. We've got to manage our attitudes respectfully because you can't get in the kingdom without humility. You can't live honorably in community without humility. You can't avoid God's opposition without humility. And no matter how you slice it, one of the great keys of our life is the need for humility. So maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you've come to this church for a while. And may I invite you to humbly come to Jesus Christ for your forgiveness for eternal life, who humbly gave Himself for you. Maybe most of you, if not all of you, are believers in this room. And so, humbly would serve Jesus Christ and serve your brothers and sisters in Christ to be a blessing that God wants us all to be. Humility. An incredible virtue. But one that is directed by the Spirit of God in our lives. And may that be something that's growing at Christ Church. East Ridge, any church, because we need that kind of testimony in our world today.
Let's pray together. Father, we commit our lives to your word. We ask that your spirit apply these truths, particularly to our circumstance. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our weaknesses, you know our sins, you know our struggles. Lord, bring conviction where it's needed, bring encouragement where it's needed, bring strength where it's needed. You're an amazing God, you're faithful. And Father, we pray your blessing upon Eastridge. We pray your blessing upon this church family as they seek to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. In your name we pray, amen.